Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. Happy 2018 to y'all. Uh, today I'm joined as always by my co-host Luke Boggs. Luke, happy new year. How's it going? Happy new year. Happy to uh, be back and uh, dragging starting school. <laughs> yeah, I uh, am glad that I don't know that feeling anymore. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty terrible. On this week's episode, we are just going to take a preview of the legislative session. So if you're hearing this on the day we put it out, we're going to release this on Monday morning. It is the first day of the legislative session in Georgia. Um, It's probably going to be a quick first day because I think most eyes around the state and especially at the state capitol are on the national championship game tonight. So go dogs! Best of luck against Alabama tonight. But we're just going to have a conversation previewing what's going on with the legislative session this year, what we can expect in an election year, what some of the priorities of House Speaker David Ralston mean for both his legacy as House Speaker and what it means for some of the big policy challenges the state faces. And uh, we're going to take a look at Bob Trammell. He's the new leader of Democrats in the House of Representatives. Uh, We're going to see if his talk about a little bit what his leadership means for the Democrats, what it means for the party, and what it means for the caucus of Democrats in the House going forward. So Luke, I'll uh, let you kind of kick us off. This year, as happens every other year, this year is an election year and it is the legislative session. Typically, we see kind of quiet sessions during this time. They kind of tend to go by quickly. But that's really not the sense around the Capitol right now, is it? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think there's uh, a couple reasons for that. One, the political climate that we're in is so unpredictable, and it seems like there are no rules anymore. So it kind of seems like people are willing to try to do some big things. And uh, one thing that makes this session a little bit different is uh, that it's not only is it an election year, but it's an election year where a lot of people are term limited out or a lot of people are running for a higher office. And so, you know, we only have out of the people running for governor, Michael Williams and Casey Cagle, who are staying in their offices until, um, you know, during session. Uh, Leader, uh, former Leaguer Abrams, Stacey Evans, um, Hunter Hill, and all left their uh, legislative seats to you know run for governor. So that's really going to play a lot into the dynamic, I think, in the sense that you're going to have some people outside of session that potentially will be doing things, trying to influence session externally, and then you'll have people using it uh, internally. I think more importantly, though, what's going to make this session unique is just how many people are trying to like posture for their own elections, whether it's re-election or for uh, running for a higher office. Yeah, the, I think the interesting side of this is in the state Senate. So Cagle is staying and Michael Williams is staying. Hunter Hill resigned his seat, so he's not going to be around. But Michael Williams has sort of trained his eye on Casey Cagle, and he's kind of the establishment figure that Michael Williams is trying to take down. And so I don't know, what do you think there's any uh, oh, any political stunts that are going to happen? I, we know Michael Williams hasn't always shown up for his, uh, his stunts, but do you think there's anything like that that could happen in the Senate on this during this session? I mean, one thing that is important to point out is the fact that like the Georgia State Senate is not the same as the U.S. Senate, and there's a lot less like tools in your handbox of you know 
madness that you can pull out. Um, you know, there, there's not a whole lot of like Ted Cruz esque stunts that Michael Williams can do. He can't like single handedly hold up the budget or something like that. But that being said, he has access to cameras, so I would not be surprised if he. Uh, continues to push narratives that Casey Cagle is holding up Freegum and all that is good in the world. So I'm, I'm sure he'll do something along those lines. Really what I think is going to happen more and what usually happens during every session, but especially during the election season sessions, are that there's going to be a lot of just like behind the scenes horse trading that happens because everyone has a bill that they want to go home and campaign on and say, you know, to their constituents, look what I did or look what I stopped. And usually those bills don't get passed unless they're, you know, part of some bigger deal with some other legislation. And usually it's tied to the key legislation that the uh, House Republican leadership or the Senate Republican leadership are pushing. And as you were mentioning earlier, David Ralston has a lot of things that he's very interested in doing. Uh, We cannot forget, again, that Governor Deal is still going to be a huge player in this, even though he is on his way out. He has a lot of legislation that he's going to want to leave, uh, you know, his mark on and stuff he wants to get finished. Yeah, I kind of wonder what campaign type bills that either like Cagle or Williams are going to be able to pursue. I think that they, uh, there is an ongoing discussion around tax cuts. And I think that there's some sense of, well, they cut taxes in Washington. Maybe we should cut taxes in Georgia too. But I think there's going to be a big challenge for, particularly if like Cagle takes that up because like Williams could get out there and say, Oh, he, I want to do a big tax cut, but he, I don't think that he has a lot of, you know, sort of like single-handed authority to to push that issue. But but Cagle certainly does. But there's a lot of things going on with the budget right now that are going to make it very difficult for them to fit something like that in. Uh, Washington still hasn't done a long-term fix on the children's health insurance program. Um, there are talks in Washington of spending cuts around social programs that are going to come now that uh, they blew up the deficit with their tax bill. And all of these create some uncertainty for the budget writers at the state level. They actually, um, I read in the AJC that Governor Deal, as of like last week, didn't know exactly what like revenue figures he was going to have, how they were going to be impacted by tax reform in Washington. Um, So there's a lot of uncertainty created by D.C. right now that I think is going to kind of create a little bit of a barrier for some of this stuff, but for things that are like culture war items or there is this debate on like police officer pay between Casey Cagle and Michael Williams um, that, you know, that's something that may be able to come up. But what about uh, for the Democrats, Luke, do you think that there's any sort of outside stunts or demonstrations that like either Stacey Stacey Evans or Stacey Abrams could make during session? Well, I think it would be no surprise if both of them, not like together or anything, but just independently continue to push Medicaid expansion. That's been one of the many areas where they're 100% aligned on. I know that uh, Leaguer Trammell has made it pretty clear in the press and to uh, just times I've seen him in public and talked to him that he's really going to be pursuing Medicaid expansion. And, you know, I've heard I've heard some rumors that the Republicans are somewhat open to it since it seems like in D.C. that Obamacare is going to remain for the most part in its current form. So I would not be surprised if there's going to be something that happens there. Um, 
partially because of the fact that Governor Deal is term limited and he's on his way out. And so it won't really be part of the governor's campaign if they do something on Medicaid expansion. Uh, that would you know, be a lot of pressure off Casey Cagle to you know, say what he's going to do about Medicaid expansion. It would take an issue away from the Democrats. So you know, even if it's for bad reasons, uh, there's some rumors that something could happen uh, with Medicaid expansion in a positive direction. And so I'm hoping that that is true. Um, as far as other outside stunts, I mean, I honestly think a lot of what will happen with the Democratic gubernatorial candidates might be reactions to pieces of legislation that some of the more far-right representatives drop, because especially during campaign years, people tend to drop some bills that are, you know, very odd (laughs) in my view, but are definitely just like red meat for the uh, conservative parts of their base. Uh, You know, we had a lot of uh, talk last session around concert, um, Confederate monuments. So I would not be surprised if something on either side comes out about that, since that has been a conversation around the country and that there's been a lot of good positive momentum in taking a lot of those monuments down. I would not be surprised if something happens on that front. Yeah, on the Confederate monuments, it'd be interesting to see if any of the pressure from rank and file members can actually push this issue forward. David Ralston in some of his pre-session interviews has said that he's not really interested in pushing Confederate monument legislation right now. And I know Elena Parent over in the state Senate, she introduced a bill on the Senate side that allows local communities to decide what happens with their Confederate monuments. Um, but David Ralston in an interview with WABE said that, you know, said that the state of Georgia has like one history and it shouldn't be determined at the local level. And, and he feels like that would be divisive. I don't know if that's just a, his excuse for not wanting to deal with this this year. Uh, but the, the interesting thing about his agenda items is he's taking on some really big issues. And so you could see why some of these things like Confederate monuments that may not be at the top of his priority list, he doesn't want to have those things get in the way. Um, But it'll be interesting to see if there's pressure from other members of the legislature um, or if the Senate takes it up and tries to squeeze the house on it for some reason, if that's something that ends up getting done or there's any any movement on that because of that pressure yeah because i mean on that note you know we we definitely talk about david rawson a lot and we talk about the amount of power he has because he definitely has a lot and he is a very influential figure at the capitol since he is probably going to be the one person who is definitely remaining in leadership after the elections we're about to see but i think it's important to say that like you know when we were Coming into session last year, we were talking about how David Grosting was like, we don't want to deal with Riffra this year. You know, like, we don't want to do anything huge on guns. And, like, what they end up doing, they did, you know, bills on both of those issues that got to the governor's desk. So I think it's important to know what he thinks and important, like, what his priorities are. But that does not in any way, shape, or form, uh, can, you know, outline the possibility that something could happen there. And, you know, I, I suspect that there's going to be a fight over the adoption code rewrite, which uh, was a big issue last time. Uh, basically, um, as a reminder, the adoption code in Georgia has really not been touched since like Dave, uh, since uh, Nathan Deal was back in the state Senate, which has been quite some time. And so they had just tried to do a 
fairly basic rewrite of it um, that was very bipartisan. I'm pretty sure it passed unanimously out of this uh, state house, and then it got to the state senate, and they added a lot of RIFRA provisions that would have allowed um, private adoption agencies to prevent uh, gay couples from adopting. Uh, children, and that just sunk the whole thing. So I imagine that legislation will be back, hopefully in unadulterated form, but even if it does come in some unadulterated form, there'll probably still be a fight over it. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of culture war fights just because, again, it's an election year and people want to campaign on that stuff. And so it's it's going to be a crazy, crazy session is really the thing I'm trying to articulate in this moment and that everything is going to become a fight even when it doesn't need to be that's that's my sense from uh where i've been reading and hearing from people at the capitol so one of the other things that's probably going to be a big agenda item this year is uh, legislative action on the recommendations that were made by the rural development council um this is a council that it's basically a study committee put together by the house um it is one of david ralston's top priority items and they are meeting it's a two-year study committee so they've met most of 2017 and then they're supposed to meet throughout 2018 before that committee is disbanded at the end of 2018 but they put out some interim recommendations um, that they laid out as action items for the legislature during this session Um, these include things like tax credits for people moving to rural georgia basically you would get a break on your state income tax Um, and if the local governments agree you might also get a break on your your local property tax if you were to move to one of the counties where they've seen uh, slow or no population growth. Basically, this is most of rural uh, South Georgia, parts of North Georgia as well. They would also, there's a big effort around subsidizing the development of rural broadband. This is an effort not only to get just rural broadband to customers in rural Georgia, but also to support efforts around telemedicine and online courses for for high school kids and college kids. There was also a series of recommendations under healthcare. Um, This one was interesting. There's, There's a lot of little nuts and bolts stuff in there, but one of the things that was interesting is there is a proposal out there to have the state to basically have the legislature authorize the state to seek a Medicaid waiver and in the description of that in this recommendation laid out by the council, they um, say that they want to do a Medicaid waiver to get Medicaid coverage for people up to the poverty line. Um, this is what's known as partial Medicaid expansion. It's the expansion that's allowed under the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act allows you to expand up to 138% of the poverty line. And so this is going most of the way, but not all the way. But basically, they're opening the door to a discussion on Medicaid expansion, just not fully in the way that uh, the law allows and not fully in the way that Democrats would like to see. Luke, I know you mentioned Medicaid expansion. I have a a quick follow up question. Who's actually on that council? Just like for context of, you know, who's making these recommendations? That uh, council is chaired by Terry England, who also runs the Appropriations Committee, and um, Jay Powell, they're co-chairing that, and Rep. Sam Watson um, is the vice chair of that committee. It is a bipartisan committee. They've got members from both parties, um, but it the effort around this uh, has largely been put together by the speaker, and, and he's the one that's kind of championed the findings that are coming out of this, and 
he's kind of the big push behind getting these things done. Well, what I find interesting about most of those issues is that uh, makes up a lot of Casey Cagle's platform as well. So it'll be interesting in um, this session to see if any of that stuff happens because it's sort of that catch-22 that if you pass it this session, then Casey Cagle can't really campaign on getting it done. He could campaign on having gotten it done, but you know, then it's uh, not an issue that you can use to gather support so it's kind of yeah it's, it's catch-22 yeah particularly the things around rural broadband i think his campaign has its own proposal for dealing with rural broadband issues oh yeah um, that's that's was one of the first big things that um his campaign was talking about i have a couple friends who have a uh, volunteer for his campaign and they joke about how that casey cagle will not stop talking about it so yeah it's definitely one of his his bigger issues but the interesting thing about this is these aren't, you know, the issues that feel like they've kind of defined legislative sessions recently, things like the gun bill, the religious liberty debate, um, all of those things are sort of like very partisan culture war issues. Um, maybe not since the the debate over raising the transportation tax or the gas tax for transportation funding have we had kind of a real big substantive debate like this where there's some bipartisan agreement. But these are big substantive things that Ralston is pushing this committee to enact. Um, And they're things that are not necessarily super conservative, super free market. I mean, part of the reason that we're even having this discussion about rural Georgia is because a lot of kind of the economic development tools and stuff like that has been left up to the free market in rural Georgia and rural Georgia has been left behind as like the Metro Atlanta area and the Savannah area have continued to grow and get people moving there from rural Georgia and from other States. Um, So there's a lot of things that Ralston's kind of putting on the line that are things where government is getting involved to support, uh, you know, economic development efforts to maybe expand Medicaid. He's he's putting it out there a lot of sort of moderate uh, government, activist government kinds of things. Um, another place where he may even be considered a progressive is state funding for mass transit. Uh, he also had pushed some of the efforts around uh, a transportation governance study committee that has been working over this last year. And he came to their first meeting and said that one of the things he'd like the committee to consider sort of on his recommendation at his urging was state funding for MARTA and other mass transit agencies around the state. I mean, that's something that's still on the agenda for him and something that we also might see in this session. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's interesting that that is the direction that Ralston's going um, because that's not really the direction that many people in his party are going, both nationally and in Georgia. Uh, you know, because uh, like we said, Casey Cagle is very interested in the rural broadband issue, but he really has not been as open to any form of Medicaid expansion in the way that Ralston seems to be. Uh, and then also on that front, you know, just the tax cut conversation is a lot stronger uh, on the governors in the governor's race candidates than it is uh, with Ralston as well. And of course, Nathan Deal has been pretty firm that he thinks we shouldn't be cutting our taxes. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out since all these recommendations obviously, you know, require more funding and revenue and how they will balance that with their desire to cut taxes. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what you might be seeing here is is Ralston making his attempt to really kind of put his policy legacy stamp on his career as House Speaker right now. I mean, he had the the big win on uh, raising the gas tax a few years back. Uh, but this is a big package of items that he has got on the top of his agenda. If he's able to corral the House and maybe bully the Senate into passing a lot of these things during an election year, I think that he's going to be sort of head and shoulders above uh, the new governor. If if the new governor is a Republican, it's, to me at least, going to feel like the leader of the Republican Party is going to be David Ralston or the, or the person who can say, look at all the things that I've accomplished and and all of the things that are sort of multi-year efforts. I mean, this is just the first of probably two or three legislative sessions worth of effort around the rural development issues. And what that's going to do to, say, a potential Governor Hunter Hill or Governor Michael Williams or even a Governor Casey Cagle would be they've got a lot of focus on tax cuts coming through their campaigns right now. And a lot of these things that Ralston is pursuing require revenue from the state. And those things are going to be in conflict when a, a Governor Hill or Cagle or Williams is trying to you know, cut taxes and maybe take a step away from these priorities that Ralston's laying out right now. Yeah, but I think it's important to point out, again, just because Ralston says he wants to do all this stuff, like, do we? Do you actually think he's going to be able to? Like, do you think we're going to come back here in, like, three months and say that how, like, 75% of this got done, 25% got done? Like, where, where are you feeling that from what you've been seeing? I mean, I think for some of this stuff, it's really difficult to fail on this stuff and then go try to campaign. I mean, what do you do on like the adoption code rewrite? They were at the finish line. The house had done their job and it's, you know, a couple of Republicans in the Senate that are holding it up. You know, what do you do to go back and say, Oh, we didn't want to rewrite the adoption code. You know, I don't know that the, the LGBT issues and that are, are going to be winners for, uh, you know, maybe except the most far right Republican primaries. And then on the rural development stuff, They've made promises to rural Georgia for years, and I don't, you know, if they do this whole committee. Well, that, that's and sort of my whole like my point as well is that like they've made promises on the state funding for transit since the, you know, twenty fourteen transportation bill, and so it's just like so much of this stuff is stuff that we've talked about before, and then the other thing is too that we haven't talked about, but of course because he has to intersect himself into everything, you know, we are under the presidency of Donald Trump. There's been a lot of elections that have gone really hard against the Republican Party over the past uh, you know, couple months. And so I kind of feel like we don't know what it is yet, but there's going to be some effort for them to use this legislative session as a way to combat a potential Democratic wave. Because there have been you know, a little bit under a dozen special House elections and we've, and Senate elections, and we've picked up three of them, I think. So three seats out of like six or seven races um, that, you know, were competitive. So, I mean, that's not nothing. Uh, so, I mean, I kind of, I kind of think it's not going to be as boring and smooth as we might think. I just don't know exactly how it's going to play out. That's the real, the real question. Cause they, they're going to have to do something to combat the, impending wave because they're they have to be nervous and so my my real question concerning i guess what i would ask you what you think is 
how are they going to react to this? Is this going to be they're going to try to do the Ralston stuff, which I would consider, you know, decently moderate center of the road, try to seem like they're reasonable, try to seem like they're getting stuff done, or are they going to lean way harder on the social agenda stuff, something with gun control, something with religious liberty, like go that route and double down on the policies that they think get their base fired up. So I think one indicator of that is the fact that Megan Hansen is introducing a bill uh, to uh, create a hate crime statute in the state so that if somebody commits a crime against a person for their identity, whether they're gay or African-American or or really or Muslim or really anything, if that can be proven in the court of law, then they can be uh, have an enhanced criminal penalty for their crime if they if they've committed a found to be committed a hate crime. And I think that that to me, that was actually one of the questions that I had for you too, was is the orientation around thinking about the election going to be trying to shore up things with the sort of middle, middle of the road independent voters, or is it going to be the story that we've seen in a lot of the recent years, which is a lot of the sort of hot political items are things that, uh, excite Republican base voters. And when you've, the things that we've heard about that have kind of been floating around in the press um, as issues to look out for are this hate crime legislation, um, a bill introduced that would ban bump stocks. This was the the thing used in the Vegas shooting. And there's a bill, I think it's in the Senate to ban bump stocks that was introduced shortly after the Vegas shooting. Um, and then the issue of Confederate statues and the thing that doesn't seem to be going anywhere, or at least I haven't seen anybody pick it up and Ralston's kind of put it down is the religious liberty issue. So a lot of those things go in the direction of people are looking to, or Republicans are looking to be sensitive to something like LGBT issues and this hate crime bill and Democrats are feeling pretty emboldened around issues like Confederate statues and, and gun control issues. Um, and all of those point towards a political environment moving to the left, moving towards Democrats and Republicans trying to react to that. And I think that's kind of what makes me think that Ralston might be able to get some of this stuff done. Because a lot of these things are promises that have been made, but I don't know that the speaker has been the person to make be making them and be so out front in driving these conversations. And I think for a lot of people, for a lot of Republicans, they're going to be asked the question of what are you going to go campaign on that you've actually done? And this is a way for them to do something. But yeah, who knows what like the backbenchers will bring and if that stuff will kind of overtake what leadership wants to see. Yeah, I mean, the backbenchers definitely do that a lot. And that's the one thing I've I've been curious about uh, myself because looking at it from the elections, it's the reason why Democrats have been so successful in Georgia is because that Democratic turnout has been way up and that Republican turnout has been way down. So if you're viewing it from a purely political perspective, they should be going into the session trying to find things that they think will increase the turnout of their base and increase the turnout of Republican voters because that's been sorely lacking and get their voters excited. And I don't know if an adoption code rewrite or rural development will get them excited in the same way that some of those uh, sexier issues that make the news a lot more will. But I'm hoping 
Uh, I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping that they focus on actually doing stuff that's important and making investments in the stake and trying to push us forward. Uh, speaking of which, we we need to talk about uh, Representative Bob Trammell and the stuff that he's doing in the Democratic House. Uh, I will say on my end, I have a lot of friends that work in and around that office, and from what I'm hearing, there's a definitely a new sense of energy uh, in the House leadership office and that there's going to be a lot of policy being pushed in a way that we haven't seen before. There's been several articles I've read over the past couple days emphasizing how hard they're trying to push Medicaid expansion and that's why I really am hoping that we will see something on that even if it is not full expansion if it's a waiver or something but it's it's just an opportunity for the state that I'm hoping we can make something happen with and I think the new leadership over there will be instrumental in so what I would ask you though is you know sort of having a little bit more of an outsider perspective what would you want to see from the new house leadership and what would you think would like be marked as a success if we're talking about them in three months from now if session goes in the direction that i think it might that the substantive issues might weigh out against the political hot topics i would hope that they're making substantive contributions to that debate uh, something that I've paid a lot of attention to is the Medicaid expansion conversation. And I think the, one of the things that the Democrats will be able to offer is to say, look, we're, we're really excited that you guys are considering expanding eligibility in this program. It's going to do a lot to help people in rural Georgia and people across the state access health care where they don't have a way to pay for it right now. But what I would say is don't you know, ask the Republicans or demand that the Republicans not undermine their own efforts by strangling the Medicaid expansion and administrative red tape. Uh, one of the things that's being talked about in Washington right now related to this is implementing work requirements in the Medicaid expansion program. And these are pretty clearly shown in other programs to uh, reduce enrollment in those programs, reduce participation by low-income people, and block them to benefits that would help them you know, in the instance of Medicaid expansion, help them maintain their health, be ready to go into the workforce, be ready to work. Part of the issue is that when you have to implement a work requirement, there's just administrative hurdles that you have to get over. And states typically aren't very good at doing those things. If they're doing something like expanding Medicaid eligibility to help rural Georgia, they shouldn't undermine their own efforts by making this something hard to access. Um, because for people who aren't working but who could take advantage of the Medicaid expansion, they're typically not working for good reasons. Like they're taking care of sick relatives or children or they um, have a disability or, or some sort of health challenge of their own. And having access to health care for the ones that can be able to go back to work, having access to health care is part of the way in which they would be able to do that. So my hope would be that they're making substantive contributions to these debates, particularly as it relates to Medicaid expansion. And then they're making it very clear on some of these other either divisive topics or things where they haven't, they've tried to engage and they haven't gotten any, you know, feedback or any buy-in from Republicans on things that they just be upfront about, Hey, we tried to help you guys out. We have these ideas, which we think are good for the state and you guys are not listening. And that's, part of what they can go then turn around and campaign on next year. Yeah, I think I think that's a good bar. If they are it's a it's kind of a two pronged approach, which is 
on all the big issues that are going to come up regardless of what they do make sure they're having a productive vocal role in trying to shape that legislation and trying to make it better and then uh when republicans refuse to work with us make it very clear on what our alternative would have been to what they pursued and that's that's why i'm hoping we'll see uh rumor rumor has it that is what we're going to see but uh i'm i'm hoping that we can we can come back here in a couple months and say that the democrats made a really good uh effort and really had a change in direction under the new leadership the other thing that i would like to see too is not just responding to the things that go on or doing some of the no-brainer things. Like if if Republicans push a religious liberty bill that turns into a license to discriminate, obviously Democrats are going to oppose something like that. And, and that's kind of a no-brainer thing for them to do. But on some of these bigger challenges that the state has, if Republicans are not making progress on those things in this session, Democrats should take a position on what the state should be doing and not just say, you know, oh, we should put more money in our schools, but actually release a proposal, like a detailed laid out proposal about what Democrats position is and what they would do if they had power. I think one of the things that's happened with the Medicaid expansion debate is, you know, they've said they've just sort of like drawn the line, say, all right, we favor Medicaid expansion, but actually lay out like what that means, what the proposal would look like how it would help rural Georgia. Cause like, I think when you just say, Oh, we're for that thing. And the Republicans aren't doing that thing. You know, you, you don't give people a reason to believe in your position over the position of the Republicans. And so I think that there needs to be, I mean, I'm always in favor of more policy detail and I know that's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think there needs to be a little bit more effort to just sort of educate voters and the public on Democrats have better ideas on a lot of these things, but we don't know what they are. And they have positions, but we don't know beyond things like, oh, we support public schools. Well, great, but what are you going to do about that? Um, So I'd like to see a little more of that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping we do, too. Uh, I can speak from my position of the president of Young Democrats that uh, Lear Trammell had requested. I sent him over some policy ideas that uh, the Young Democrats would like to see. And so I sent those over him a couple months ago. And uh, he's, you know, assured me that we're they're going to move on them. So I'm hoping that, you know, bills will be uh, presenting, uh, pushing those uh, specific uh, ideas. And whenever they come up, I will be uh, very happy to mention that they were ideas that the Young Democrats uh, wanted to see happen. So um, I'm hoping that we can see that and provide that alternative and provide the policy detail that has been sorely lacking. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited and confident that, there's going to be some good things this session and it's going to be a opportunity for Democrats to really show what we want the state of Georgia to be and provide the alternative that has not been provided really for quite some time. I mean, from all the sessions that I've watched, there's been like sparks of inspiration of, you know, pieces of legislation that provide an alternative. But most time, as you were mentioning before, it's them reacting to what the Republicans are doing. And so um, I I think that is where I, their most improvement could be made. But I think we need to react to one, one other Republican and that's governor deal. What, what do you think governor deals, main policy agenda is going to be for this session because 
this is his last session as governor. And so I, I feel like he's probably going to try to leave some last mark. Um, he's done a lot on criminal justice reform that a lot of Democrats agree with. He's done, uh, he got the, you know, he's instrumental in the transportation bill, uh, as well as, uh, David Ralston. He's talked about QBE a lot, but that seemed to fizzle out. And, uh, you know, last session he got his alternative to the opportunity schools district passed so what are what are you kind of thinking he's going to go from here yeah the odd thing about the coverage going into this legislative session is i feel like nathan deal has been kind of absent from a lot of these discussions i think it's sort of assumed that there will be legislation around his criminal justice reform efforts to kind of try to wrap up his portion of his contribution to that it is kind of one of the big substantive things that he's accomplished it's gotten bipartisan support i've heard both democrats and republicans talk about how they thought the governor's done a good job on this issue and so i'm sure that there's things there that are going to be on his agenda yeah you mentioned the the education stuff i did see that georgia had to file a plan with the federal government about how to do basically their education assessment um in response to changes in federal law in last fall and there was some tension between the governor and the state school superintendent over that. And so I don't know if that turns into any legislation. That was something that was going on between the department of education and the governor's office. So I don't know if he's going to have a big role there. The only other thing that comes to mind is he is going to have, you know, he does have a lot of authority over the budget. He, creates the first draft. He sets the revenue levels that legislators have to operate under. And so I think to some extent he can constrain what goes on. If there's any other uh, efforts to do big tax cuts or big spending proposals this year, um, if those are not going to fit into the budget outline that the governor creates, then he's the one that gets to create the outline and kind of corral the legislature on that. But yeah, I'm not sure. I think we're probably going to have to kind of wait and see as to what his biggest priority is. If he comes back around on something like QBE reform, though they haven't really done the work yet um, to lay the or maybe they have been secretly. Who knows? Maybe they have been secretly. Because um, I mean, the one, one thing is important to point out is that most sessions under my recollection, we always go in with this feeling like, oh, Governor Deal really hasn't said a lot. And then he comes out with the state of the state and he has like a bunch of stuff he's pushing. Because if I recall, I might be wrong, but I think OSD came up in the state of the state before anything else. So, yeah, he very well might be waiting for that and that be his attempt to guide everything. If not that, then maybe he's on board with most of what Ralston's doing and has felt like he's covered it adequately. Yeah, and I think to some extent he may be, I mean, he is a lame duck, and so he may actually have more authority behind the scenes trying to shape things without having major agenda items have his name on them. And so I think that could be where you see his efforts, where you probably won't see them and maybe won't even hear about them, really. Um, Although you'll start to hear about him as he puts together his legacy tour in what what he'll probably do in the final months of his administration. So I think there's a couple other big issues that we need to hit, one of which is going to be pretty important and tied to Governor Deal and the 
governor's race itself, and that is Amazon trying to come to Georgia. So what have you heard about that? Because I honestly have not heard a lot in the past couple weeks. There have been a lot of activity uh, around it, and I know that Atlanta is still kind of on the list, but hasn't really uh, been much that I've heard lately on that. What about you? I haven't seen much. I think the thing that's kind of assumed is there might be you know, if there's any tax breaks for Amazon, those will have to go through the legislative process. And so I don't know if there's any sort of like pre-selection work that they could do on those this legislative session. I think to some extent they're waiting on a decision. And I don't know where Amazon is on that decision. But I'm sure that, you know, if Amazon has questions or they're following up on Georgia's application or how it compares to other states or if there's things that you can look at in the tax code that like some other states already have that stuff beneficial to Amazon in the tax code. And I don't actually know exactly what these things would be that like, maybe you could do some like preemptive action on that. But to some extent, I think that part of what can happen to make Amazon feel good about coming here is if they make progress on the mass transit issue and do some state funding for mass transit and, actually look like they, you know, have their stuff together on this. Um, because depending on where they want to put the headquarters, they they want to have transit access to that, I'm sure. Particularly because I'm sure most of Amazon's employees are on the younger side and, and that's the way that younger people tend to prefer to get to work as opposed to sitting in that horrific Atlanta traffic. So I think there'll probably be things that don't look like they are meant to lure Amazon here. But if they basically, if the religious liberty debate doesn't come back up and they make progress on mass transit funding and state support for that, those would be two things I think would be beneficial to Georgia's proposal. Yeah, on that front, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you a little bit because I think you are right that there's gonna be a lot of things that um, aren't explicitly about Amazon, but they're really about Amazon. Uh, but I think that we'll pro if as long as assuming that Amazon's like still on the table and they're still thinking about coming to Georgia, I think there'll probably be something fairly explicit that would be trying to get them to come. I mean, considering the deals that we have, like with Delta Airlines and uh, Coca-Cola and like all these other companies, I mean, I would just kind of be shocked if they're serious about pursuing having Amazon come if we didn't give them some sort of insane tax break or some you know i've heard that some other states have like offered them land so i mean i wouldn't be surprised if we did something along those lines you know maybe not uh, what we expect and you know we can't predict exactly what but i think something will happen there and and i also think important to, to say that if you know like brian kemp wins the uh, Republican primary, Michael Williams, some of the other candidates have been really hardcore on pursuing the social agenda of the far right. I mean, that might scare them off. I mean, that might be saying, you know, that might be a, a bridge too far, but I don't, I don't really think it is uh, just due to how other companies and other industries have reacted to religious liberty legislation, uh, you know, notably in North Carolina, all the, you know, sporting events that pulled out of there. So, I mean, if, if that did happen, I would not be surprised if they reacted strongly to it. Yeah. I think there's definitely opportunity to lose this contest. I don't know 
that the apparent opportunity to win the contest will be there and be in the legislative session. But if we do stupid things, then yeah, I think we could definitely lose our opportunity to bring Amazon to Georgia if uh, if we don't look like we can govern responsibly. And, you know, speaking of stupid things, I think this is a, a good time to talk about another recurring huge issue in Georgia, and that is uh, medical marijuana and the effect that the stupid policy that uh, Jeff Sessions is pursuing. So with Jeff Sessions pursuing uh, these policies to turn back the lax enforcement of marijuana laws in the United States and states that have allowed medical marijuana and uh, legalized recreational marijuana, how do you think Georgia should react to that? Because it seems like several, you know, a lot of people are freaking out about it, but it's not really clear what effect that would have on the medical marijuana issue. I'm not sure. I think that the outcome for Georgia might be that there just isn't any progress really made on this issue during this legislative session. It's not clear what the attorney general intends to achieve by changing this directive. Basically, his change means that under the Obama administration, they discouraged U.S. attorneys from pursuing marijuana cases against people or businesses in states that had legalized marijuana where their their voters had decided in a referendum to legalize recreational marijuana or medical marijuana in their states. Now what the policy would be is that prosecutors can sort of decide on their own whether they want to pursue these cases. And there was actually pushback. There was a lot of pushback from Democrats, but there was also pushback from Republicans in Washington, including Republican Senator Cory Gardner from Colorado. His state has legalized recreational marijuana. Uh, but Gardner said that Sessions went back on the promise that he made during his confirmation hearings to Cory Gardner. And so I don't know. I mean, Sessions sort of feels like he's on his own island on this issue. It's the, one of the only issues where there's almost agreement across the political spectrum, more than 50% of Republicans support legalization of marijuana, and independents and Democrats are even higher. Um, so there is sort of broad agreement across both parties that legalization is kind of where this is going. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that. but I, I, th- I, think, I think your first instinct's right, though. I think this is probably going to make this issue very very complicated for anything productive to get done this session because governor deals whole hang up on allowing the production of medical marijuana in the state of georgia has been him saying that he was concerned that it might not be a stable policy on the federal level and it looks like he uh might be correct about that since it was not made legal on the federal level and it's going in the opposite direction uh, assuming that congress does not intervene then yeah i kind of think our hands are tied unfortunately yeah i just think it's gonna sit until until congress does something i mean they may be able to set aside a a more like legal safe area for medical marijuana. I don't think recreational is going anywhere in Congress anytime soon. But the other interesting thing on on this decision is that during the campaign, Trump said that he would prefer this issue be left up to the states. And he actually sort of was in the same position as Obama and as a lot of Republicans in Congress saying, well, you know, they may have their own personal opinions on, on legalization, but the reason that states are legalizing and 
or adopting medical marijuana policies is because voters decided that. And so I don't know that there's a lot of when all this other unpopular stuff is going on to then go against the will of voters in states in like swing states. That's why I don't know that um, there's going to be a lot of support for sessions. But until something is solidified, I think Georgia probably just sits where they are. Um, much to the chagrin of Alan Peake, who's been pushing this uh, religiously for, what, four or five years now? Yeah, at least. So another thing that's going on at the Capitol, and, and I think we'll wrap up on this point, is there's been a committee put together to study the policies around sexual harassment at the Capitol. Um, there was an article in WABE that I saw, I think this was before Christmas, where uh, women who had worked at the Capitol either as lobbyists or as um, advocates or female legislators or or other women at the Capitol had talked about how they had been targets of harassment and assault by members of the legislature or other lobbyists or, or other men at the Capitol this is in line with the Me Too movement that's going on with this conversation around sexual harassment in the workplace um, that's going on nationally. Um, and so it's something that's also come home to Atlanta. The committee that was put together by Republicans in the legislature only had one woman on it, which was something that a lot of advocates and observers complained about. Um, but there's also a separate uh, group put together by House Democrats, I think, Luke, is that right? Um, I I haven't heard. um, I think there's a separate group that was also looking at potentially making recommendations around this, but it does create kind of this wild card where I don't know if there are accusations that are going to come out against members of either party in the legislature and whether or not that would affect whether or not they run for reelection next year. Uh, We have a lot of members in our Mm -hmm. state house and state Senate. So I don't know that it does a lot to maybe, give Democrats a chance to take back the chamber on either side. If, if there's a lot of Republicans that are the subject of accusations and maybe don't run again. Um, well, I think, I think, you know, I think the more rep- important thing is not look at this politically. I mean, there's plenty of chances that there's a bunch of Democrats that could lose their seats because of it, or, you know, because it, it's not a, it's not a parsing issue. It's not just Republicans that are doing this. I mean, it's just, it's a rampant problem throughout every industry and every occupation apparently uh and so uh while i personally really have not heard much about this because i try to stay out of everyone's social life as much as possible Uh, i like to uh you know have my privacy uh i know a lot of people have said that there have been problems with this and just like reading the news alabama and tennessee have had some very major uh sex scandals and sexual harassment scandals over the past couple years so I would not be surprised if there ends up being a problem. Uh, I know that there has been some concerns about the makeup of the committee, and I think that's definitely something that needs to be addressed, and there needs to have far more women on it, uh, and it, there needs to be a consistency in the transparency of the committee, which I also heard there were some problems with, but uh, I'm hoping that we can see some honesty and transparency and some solid policies put in place to help deal with this issue because um the capital is you know there's a lot of stereotypes about the capital there's the fact that you're there for you know three months and people 
are working very long hours and staying in hotels and there's a lot of events with free alcohol and so it's just a recipe for a lot of problems so i'm hoping that this can be addressed in a real way and not in a superficial uh check the box we dig it please stop asking about it way um so that's that's kind of my opinion on that and hopefully uh, we can have some policy changes at the capitol and if necessary legislation I think by the by the time we get to the end of this process, you're probably going to see things like harassment training that are going to be made mandatory for staff, for members and staff. And there may be protections that can protect not only members and staff, but also lobbyists and other people who spend a lot of time at the Capitol. Um, so those will probably be things that need to be in both like the codes of conduct for members and maybe that comes through legislation. I'm not actually sure how they set those things. Maybe they're votes on rules or maybe it's legislation. But I think you'll see that stuff. And I hope that that comes out as not kind of a check the box kind of thing. And, and they actually take on meaningful reforms. Um, I think the thing that's kind of a wild card is then um, if there are other accusations that are going to come out. The other thing kind of related to this is the there was... And a long profile that came out about Earl Earhart, he's a state representative from Cobb County, and he interfered with investigations into into rape cases that happened at Kennesaw State University. Um, he was weighing in, he said, as a private citizen, but he's also uh, sits on the higher education funding committee and, and can determine whether or not schools get state funding for things like projects on their campus. He was weighing in on these cases in a way that I thought was highly inappropriate, uh, given his position in the legislature and his relationship with Sam Olins, who was the former attorney general of Georgia. Then he became the president of Kennesaw State University. Now he's actually stepping down partially because of that incident with Earl Earhart and and partially because of how they handled uh, some of the KSU cheerleaders kneeling during the national anthem of football games at KSU earlier this year. Um, or last year now, or in 2018. But yeah, I don't know that any of this, I mean, my hope would be that this changing conversation around sexual assault and harassment um, also points to things that like Earl Earhart is doing, using his authority in a way that I don't think is appropriate in interfering in cases of rape and sexual harassment on college campuses, um, because what he's been doing is pretty reprehensible. Yeah, and I'm hoping that this can, you know, put a spotlight on that and probably a lot of other stuff that we're completely unaware of that has been going on. So that's if if they do their jobs right and they look into this, I suspect we will be hearing a lot of uncomfortable things. Um so any final thoughts from you Luke on what to look forward to? What's kind of the number one thing in your mind as we start session today? Um, I'm just looking forward to it in general. Usually they are exciting. And um, despite some uh, more concerning pieces of legislation getting proposed and sometimes passed, usually most of the time there's something I can say, well, that was good that that happened. And, you know, sometimes uh, there's more good legislation than bad. But I'm hoping that with the environment that we're going into, that we can make a lot of progress on uh, important issues in Georgia and that we have a legislative session that's not embarrassing and that we, uh, you know, just make a lot of progress that we can feel good about and hopefully finally do something on Medicaid expansion. So that's, that's my final thoughts. 
Yeah, I think I would just wrap up with, I am really interested to see if we really do take on these really substantive debates and if Ralston can throw his weight around in a way that will get these things done. I think that is going to kind of set the tone for the Republican primary. If this session becomes about these big political issues, social issues, culture war issues, and that drowns out all of the substantive stuff that that Ralston and some of the Republicans are pursuing, I think that's really going to set the tone for what you're going to see in the Republican primary heading into the governor's race and in the midterms in 2018. But with that, I think we'll leave that there. Um, So lots of exciting stuff coming up, um, including hopefully a national championship for the Bulldogs tonight. So go dogs. dogs. And uh, we're going to leave it there. Hopefully we're going to be able to brag about the title when we're back next week. Uh, But until then, uh, y'all take care and we will talk to you later. Bye guys. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all.